Welcome, this is CopperCast, a show dedicated to exploring the wonderful, if somewhat technical, world of institutional investment in crypto assets. I'm your host, Tyler Kenyon. Our guest today is Glenn Morgan, a crypto lead at insurance giant Aon. Insurance is a topic we don't often talk about much in this space, but the role of players such as Aon has considerably heightened digital asset adoption among institutional players. So welcome, Glenn. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. So I guess the first question I usually ask people is their, their crypto origin story and how they got into crypto. Um, in your case, I'm also wondering whether it happened before or after you got into the insurance business. So <laughs> tell me where it all started for Glenn. Yeah, a good old uh, crypto origin story. Um, everyone has one, you know, the one where you should have bought and you didn't. Uh, for me, it happened back in around 2014 when I was... Uh, uh, starting out at, at Marsh and, you know, I had heard about Bitcoin from, you know, a number of friends, you know, every you know, pop up on the news from now and again. And, you know, I, I had decided I was going to take my bonus from Marsh and I was just going to buy Bitcoin. It was a really solid investment strategy. Um, but then uh, I, I came up to New York and uh, ended up uh, running around the city and, and running up a good credit card tab that I didn't have any money to pay for. So uh, I had to take a break on it for a while, but I, I always stayed, you know, interested and, you know, was looking for opportunities to get in, which, you know, seemed like it was just going up, up, up. So I guess around 2017, I would have been thought of as like the Bitcoin uh, water cooler guy uh, on my floor at Marsh, where I was working in their private equity and M&A division. Um, but that turned from kind of colleagues ribbing me to an opportunity to intersect my professional career when one of our clients uh, bought us a, brought us a large um, investment company that uh, was, was just launching their crypto desk and no one really knew what to talk about with them. So they were like, oh, this is perfect for Glenn. And, uh, you know, kind of fast forward from there to, you know, I guess a little bit, um, you know, more towards now was as soon as I found like my niche, um, it was also kind of sussed out a little bit by a, a large corporation where, you know, I felt like I might not have had as much of a voice. So I, I ended up leaving um, and going to Alliant Insurance, which was Crystal Financial Institutions at the time. Um, but I was able to start the digital assets practice there. And what, so you're now at Aon, and Aon's been a broker in the digital asset space for a little while. Um, yeah, yeah, no, correct. They, they've been a broker in the space always since 2013. Um, you know, they, uh, they wrote Coinbase's first insurance policy back in 2013 and has been in the space ever since. Um, and I guess... To, to kind of give a little bit of that background, I went from Alliant to Aon at the beginning of the year. Um, you know, we had a successful run at Alliant and uh, grew that, that practice there. But um, when I was, you know, looking at the, the environment and in the marketplace, um, Aon has been a leader for so long. They, they have so many resources, both domestically and globally. And with that global resource base, commitment to innovation and market leverage, um, you know, I, I saw a real opportunity to, to be in the front, in the driver's seat and, and pushing the market forward. One of the things you talked about in your like, show and tell segment for us, which I guess for listeners who haven't seen already, go, go watch it on YouTube. It's really informative. Was about the, the change in the insurance practice in 
crypto pre and post the ICO craze of, of 2017. Um, so just talk us through that again and, and some of the some of the factors that have contributed to the to the change in the landscape. Yeah, I think I mean, just like, you know, every other industry, you you kind of have this this mania phase that that shakes out bad actors. And, you know, maybe it's not as extreme as crypto, but I think that's kind of the point to drive home there where um, prior to 2017, you know, you would have companies come in that, that would have a crypto business and they would explain, you know, they're very institutional and professional, just like other clients. So underwriters didn't really think much of it. But then, you know, everyone got crypto rich. Everyone wanted to, to, to buy insurance for their directors so that, you know, if ultimately their business toppled or what was their business, um, you know, they would have protection and, and the market wanted no part of that. Um, you know, I, I would say that from, you know, just insurance to um, financial services across the board, uh, we're, we're all thankful that a lot of those bad actors have shaken out. Um, but changing that narrative uh, has been, you know, a bit of a challenge in the insurance industry um, because we are uh, uh, known as one of the slowest uh, financial institutions, slowest moving out there, um, probably more so than everyone else. <laughs> a couple of things that you highlighted in, in your video earlier were about, you know, it, during the ICO craze, it was, it was sort of like the behavior of the industry, I guess, that caused insurers to become uh, nervous about insuring crypto businesses. Like, what, what were some of those? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think the the fraud is like the biggest, <laughs> the <laughs> biggest bugaboo uh, for for the insurance industry, and they didn't really know how to uh, draw a line. Uh, you know, it all just sound you know outside of Bitcoin, uh, everyone was just scratching their head like, what is this? Um, you know, it, it worked it worked well. You know, to have twenty seventeen or twenty eighteen and twenty nineteen kind of calm down a little bit, so that people could, I guess, catch up. And I wouldn't just say in insurers, you know, I, I would also say media and, you know, the public narrative, um, because, you know, if you if you in 2017, you know, even Time magazine or Vogue was trying to, to work Bitcoin into an article mm -hmm. and all that buzz kind of had to, to wear off for people and specifically institutions to start taking it more seriously. So, you know, I think that's the history of it is important to understand um, to give context to where we are today because it's it's completely different now but you know oh, where we had maybe we were just going to Lloyd's in London or you know, there was a, a small handful of insurers who would be willing to write in 2017 now we have you know I, varying between risks over 20 or over 30, you know, there's definitely a, a level that markets are willing to be involved, but some markets are farther behind, you know, because it's taking them longer to entry. And you also talked a little bit about like the amount of education that you guys are, I guess, providing to yeah. insurers. Um, is there also an element of education that you're providing to, you know, crypto businesses as well? A hundred percent. Yeah. And, and so it's, it, it's like a revolving door almost because, you know, we, it's very important for us to be able to educate our clients, but we rely on education from you just as much. And then, you know, and, and additionally, 
making that full circle is having our clients educate the markets. Mm -hmm. You know, I was in a, a meeting recently um, and, you know, it's kind of like the old saying, a win token, like when is it going to, it's like I was asking the, the underwriters, you know, a full boardroom of 20 different markets, like everyone has said, we're still not playing in crypto. And the question is, okay, you know, we've had this for, for five years. If you're not doing it, if you're not seeing the win, mm. and uh, the kind of the response is, it's not that, you know, us specifically or on an individual basis are, are you know, having trouble with, with, you know, the existing coverage or, or the industry in general, we don't see it as established, is that we just still don't understand the risk. And so we need you to, to show us. We need you to hold our hand rather than coming to us and asking for a solution, asking for a policy form. We need you to write it and give it to us and say, this is how this is going to work and come with a convincing enough story that says, you know, we'll, we'll actually put our capital behind this. And it's also is part of the, uh, not lack of understanding, but, um, you know, insurers not being able to determine the risk because there isn't enough, you know, historical data about what right. they're insuring. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a, that's a big, that's a big issue for them. You know, I, I think it, it comes, it's easier for people to understand when you think about more of like the high frequency parametric style products or like, you know, you look at like, for example, the auto insurance industry, um, you know, any person can get insurance because they just use large, vast amounts of underwriting data. There's, you know, millions of, everyone has car insurance, everyone gets in car crashes and you can just look at the losses and actuaries can model out the risk. For DNO, um, which is one of the more popular lines of business for, especially for, for crypto companies, um, that's, that's litigation that we look at. And, you know, litigation, yeah, you can get public data on, uh, on settlements a lot of times, but companies aren't lining up to tell you what their defense costs are. And so, you know, that, that develops over, over time. And for the crypto industry, yeah, there, there's been litigation, um, but there hasn't been as many what you would call like covered DNO claims. You know, there hasn't been companies with insurance that are getting hit with covered claims to help markets understand what that's going to be. Um, and that's for a number of reasons, but it's, it's going to catch up, you know, kind of the way that insurers or insureds, crypto businesses look at it right now, they're not seeing a lot of value in, in the products because whether it's restrictive terms or the, the pricing is just so high, it's not business friendly. Um, you know, kind of our, our saying is that like no one really sees the value in something until there's claims and until they experience the claim. So, you know, I think that's probably the problem, but, you know, I do see right now where we have, I, you know, there's lots of legitimate businesses, but I'll say more well-established crypto native businesses are putting up with, you know, the, the high prices and maybe less favorable terms because of, you know, what it says about, you know, not just because of the coverage it provides, but, but because it, what it says to your investors or, you know, what it says to your, your third parties, your trading partners, that you put yourself through an intensive process and you, you were able to uh, 
allow companies to come in and look under your hood and and say, I'm willing to put my capital behind this company. So the, I, I got two questions that come out of that. One, but we're talking about like premiums and why they're so expensive. Sure. Is, I mean, to give people an understanding of, of how different they are from other sectors, like can you, is there sort of like a, I don't know, a, a spectrum you could put crypto businesses on versus a fintech or a tech company <laughs> or a, a financial institution? Because I, I imagine it's quite a big spectrum. Yeah, it's like challenging. Where, where's crypto businesses at right now? Well, you know, depends on who your broker is. Of <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> I guess full disclosure, yeah. Aon is our yeah. broker. <laughs> if Aon's your broker. Uh, no. Uh, so I, I guess, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not really necessarily a, a fair comparison. Um, to it, it doesn't go apples to apples, but... Uh, some some segments do so you know for example and and this is a point that i drive home a lot like for take uh you know hedge funds for example uh you have the the hedge fund that invests in crypto and the hedge fund that invests in equities and uh the market prices the hedge fund that's invests in crypto sometimes more than 100 percent of what they're charging the market that invests in equities because they understand that but when it comes to where the claims are going to come from, who the claims, whether it's their investors or regulators, you know, for the most part, you can make a distinction of these two companies and say they're doing largely the same thing. I mean, there's lots of little details along the way that could maybe make that different, you know, depending on what type of investments they're running. You know, are they doing staking? Are they custodying their own assets, et cetera, et cetera. But when you boil it down, a lot of times these companies look relatively similar. And so that's why it's important to have somebody who can make that distinction um, and communicate it to, to the marketplace in a way that, that can maybe take 100% and turn it into 40% or something like that. So looking at like the, the losses that have existed in the, in the crypto world to date, do you get a sense of what proportion of those are likely to have been covered and then the next level is like what proportion of those actually have claims paid out on it's a that's a tough question um and and we try to um to short answer the the, the longer answer is um you know it, it really just depends on the circumstance and you know i think drawing back to one of the reasons that i'm at aon now is because and I, you know I, I was cautious about coming here because large public companies, they, they move slow, there's lots of red tape. Um, but fortunately, you know, in addition to Aon making strategic investments and talent um, in the digital asset space, um, our, our new um, chief investment officer, Jillian Sleifeld, has assigned crypto as one of our company's main growth accelerators. So the fact that we have from all the way to the top people who are willing to greenlight these initiatives, that they want us to be innovative and creating new solutions. I think that's changing the narrative a little bit. And so if you look at Wormhole or the Ronin hack, um, you know, that's, that's something that insurance companies want nothing to do with. I mean, pretty much, you know, you have narratives each year. The biggest narrative right now is smart contract bridges. Like, how are we going to keep these these bridges taking, you know, on cross chain? How is that going to be safe? And insurance companies are just seeing the headlines and saying, I want no part in this. Um, there's other ways to go about creating risk transfer solutions. There's other ways 
to to help you know companies understand how this bridge is is unique from from that bridge and you know rather than writing a uh, a liability policy that is you know all everything is covered unless it's excluded you can write a named perils policy that just focuses on specific risks that businesses are you know trying to transfer that's interesting so i'm i'm keen to learn a bit more about you know the kinds of policies that get written and sort of like the evolution of the policies as well right because i think going back like 4 or 5 years there was basically one policy you could get like a specie policy and now it's sort of you know, then it was like specie and crime. And right. So like start with those two. Yeah. Just like okay. explain what those are and then how policies have evolved since then. Yeah. Okay. So I'll try to try to hit the high points here. So the specie coverage, you compare it to uh, fine art or jewelry. It's just for the, the physical loss, theft or destruction of private keys in gold storage. Kind of the, you know, term coin vault risk mm-hmm. is, you know, often what it's called. And so uh, those policies, um, a very intensive underwriting process, but they're able to get to a more manageable premium and in extremely high limits. You know, we're able to go up to, to eight, $800 million in, in specie coverage. Um, the crime is a little bit more is a little bit more intensive. It can include coverage for cold storage assets along with hot storage assets. Um, and it will you know, cover you for employee theft and things like social engineering. Uh, so it's less about the physical removal of an asset and it's more right, about like- Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, and you know, the hot, hot coverage being you know, a key element as for, for businesses, for their operations. Um, and, and then, you know, the, the other products, generally we start with, you know, especially when we talk about exchanges or custodians, you know, that, that uh, coverage for, for crime, loss of assets is extremely important. So it generally starts there or starts with DNO. And with, with everybody else, directors and officers is, uh, you know, a, a very critical piece to running their business. It, it comes in a couple waves because sometimes, you know, if you have a startup, the, the limited directors are already all in on the company. So if it goes belly up, they're already going belly up anyways. So might not be as much of a concern for them. But then the evolving, the evolving risks, um, you know, what we see a lot more of the requests today, um, you know, if, if you're concerned about your, your directors, that, that sleep easy coverage so you can operate a business and um, you know, perform professional services without worrying about you know someone coming after you as an individual. Well, what do you do if you don't work for a, a company? You work for a DAO. So you know you have different like DAOs have different structures. They some could be called companies. Some have operating entities. They a million different structures. But sometimes those employees want to have the same type of protections, and so there's organizational liability and governance liability that, you know, are, are bespoke products that can be either developed through captives or, um, you know, individual like, like self-insurance plans. And sometimes, you know, we're working on developing like actual in bringing insurance capital into those solutions. Another big one um, that, you know, we've, we've been successful with is um, uh, staking and slashing insurance. 
um, which is you know specific policies to uh, address the liabilities of a validator and be able to pay back um, those who are staking their assets through the that validator and in, in different slashing instances or if there's a validator takeover um, so you know those those are kind of a, you know a couple examples but like I, I think where the you know the big request and ask for the market um, right now um, is is people wanting that individual wallet coverage mm -hmm. um, you know not with an institution like what can I do to protect my own assets what can I do to protect my own NFTs um, you know that that's kind of one of the the hot topics right now but you know I, I think that before getting too carried away one of the one of the great parts about working in this industry right now is that the, the clients understand how rapidly things are developing um, and so they're they're greatly appreciative of partners who are willing to think creative and um, work alongside them as you know we're trying to basically redefine what traditional insurance products look like you know for someone who said that the insurance industry is slow moving like five <laughs> ten minutes ago to say that you you now provide like slashing protection and staking that's that's pretty advanced i mean that that didn't exist like two three years very, ago very true no i i know and, and that's credit to a, a lot of hard-working brokers and a lot of hard-working insurers you know i i throw a lot of stones at my own industry <laughs> because uh, sometimes it makes you want to bang your head against the wall, <laughs> especially when personally, you know, I think sometimes you, you get a little bit ahead of yourself, you know, getting excited about things. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, we, do, we deal with that with, with clients too. I mean, all the things that, you know, would excite investors uh, typically scare insurers. So mm -hmm. we all have to remind ourselves that, you know, we got to take time to, to help people understand these things. And with that, and thinking about not just the crypto industry, but the wider, I guess, financial service industry and above. I mean, how closely are, are brokers and insurers working with governments and regulators or, you know, existing banks to to shape the future of, of digital assets as an industry? Like, is there a lot of information and knowledge sharing happening there or is it a bit more like segregated? I would say yes and no. Um, you know, it, it, it's interesting because, uh, you know, we, we have people who, who work on our government affairs team and, and are in Washington, and they are, um, you know, work with our digital assets group. So, you know, whenever there's important things happening, new developments, like recently the executive order, you know, we're definitely getting involved there. And, and sometimes, you know, that's whether it's from our clients or from um, Washington, we're able to, to kind of get inside information. Um, but we definitely are, are working, um, you know, especially I mentioned Jillian's team, the global innovation team earlier, you know, they're, they're working with those partners on, on creating new products for clients, you know, every day that are going to sit outside of the, the traditional commercial risk uh, vein, um, you know, such as like um, actually insurance products that are on chain and that um, can be taken out in their native token and settled instantly. Um, so that's something that, you know, hopefully we'll have more to share on in, you know, later in the year, um, but something that we're really excited about. That's really interesting. And the existing sort of like client base for crypto insurance coverage at the moment, 
because I work at, at, at Copper and we're an infrastructure provider, I just sort of assume the only people who are taking out policies are other infrastructure providers, exchanges, what have you. Is it a much wider ecosystem for you guys? Like who? Yeah, and no, it, 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 it honestly is, and it changes, it changes every year. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, I, I think that when you, when you look at the industry and like I've put together hundreds of these slide decks <laughs> where, you know, you put these, this is custody and this is an exchange and, you know, here's asset management and staking and DeFi and, you know, it, it, it's so rapidly evolving. But I would say that, you know, you kind of can follow the money um, when you look at businesses that have been successful. Um, those are the businesses that are also focused on their infrastructure and their operations and, and protecting. You know, the, there definitely are people, um, and rightfully so, that have looked at solutions that we put on the table and said, this is not business friendly enough for us, but that's a strategic decision. And, and sometimes, you know, that's, that's a bit of maybe they've never experienced a claim before. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's a bit of maybe the market couldn't wrap their heads around it. Um, but I would say, you know, there's, there's definitely a vaster ecosystem. And, you know, one of the biggest things, I, I guess, trends that is happening now is not only um, are we, you know, fielding this, these questions every day from new businesses who are coming in the door, but we're also working tirelessly with all of our institutional clients. And I would say traditional institutional clients, banks, um, retail, um, in, any, any type of company right now, you know, I, I would say across the full board, sports and entertainment, um, all have questions about NFTs and, yeah. you know, what they can do to, to create, you know, tr- where are they already covered? What type of risk transfer can they do? That's pulling in a whole new fold um, and, and creating new challenges. But it is, uh, it's, it's a hot topic for our existing portfolio of clients and um, all these budding new industries. I never thought thought I would have sympathy for insurers, but I guess having <laughs> like thinking about them trying to work out the risks for NFTs sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> so I guess I have some yeah, sympathy no, for that. I, I certainly agree. You know, it, it is, um, and, and well, and that falls a lot on us too. You know, like I said, that, you know, in terms of we're, we're the ones who are responsible for driving the markets. Um, you know, one of the other, you know, big hurdles is, is the fact is that how information gets uh, transferred through the markets. So if, if we've got copper and we are trying to get insurance for a particular product, we would generally collect information and put you on display in front of the underwriters. So from that point, you know, hopefully we've done our job. You know, we, there's conversations that happen offline, but that's when the fun stuff starts for the underwriter. And then in most cases, since digital assets is such a polarizing topic, the level of authority to get risks approved goes so much higher than their desk. So you not only have to explain it well enough for that underwriter to understand it, you have to explain it well enough for them to play telephone to their boss and their boss's boss and the chief underwriting officer and then their reinsurance broker and then the reinsurance market who at that point, it takes so much time and effort. A lot of people are just like, I, I would just rather write a SPAC instead. Like, <laughs> I know we're going to make a lot more money and it's going to take me five minutes. So, you know, there's a lot of, uh, 
there's a lot of heavy lifting on, on all ends, but you know, you, you really have to make them buy in to be willing to put in the extra work. Ben, this has been a very enlightening conversation for me. So thank you for coming in. But before we let you go, we've got about 10 questions that we ask everyone. Okay. So don't think too much about them. Just go straight in. Tell, tell us what you Rapid think. fire. Yeah. So where do you see the insurance industry in one year versus 10 years? So in one year for traditional products, I think we're going to be close to where we are today in a sense that we've definitely brought in more markets in capacity, but there's still going to be similar issues with the next wave of markets that's come in. So I think capacity will expand, but in terms of an industry, and you know, I alluded to some of these new products and everything, I think that is going to um, develop you know, a, a lot over the next year. I think there's going to be, you know, we, we've already kind of started to kick the ball down the hill um, when it comes to, to some of the solutions that are going to be available. Um, you know, some are in beta, some are like already rolled out. Um, but then versus 10 years, I think the 10 year outlook is, um, I would say, I would say maturity. Like, I, I don't know that necessarily, um, you know, I, a lot of things can change. Like, you know, maybe proof of work and proof of stake are not are no longer the best consensus mechanisms and everything kind of resets. But I think that I think that everyone is going to understand digital assets at that point. And I think that every business is going to be involved with digital assets at that point. So when it comes to, you know, my role, digital asset task force or team that, that might still exist, but the, the operation and agenda is going to be totally different because we're not going to be spending all this time on, on education and impressing for new solutions. Um, I often liken it to, um, you know, it, back in like 2008, uh, cyber insurance was like a new thing, like nobody had it. And now it's pretty much a requirement for doing business. So I think that that's kind of where the trend is headed. That's a good comparison. If you could change one thing about the insurance industry, what would you change? Hmm. Uh, try not to get anyone in trouble here. <laughs> I, I think that I, I've always wished that, that the in, insurance industry was more tech focused um, and, and more willing to, to adopt new technology to scale business. Um, I think we're going to see that at a rapid pace, but the, the legacy models has, has put, you know, basically we'll, we'll give people the, the minimum tools to, to do their jobs. And in, in, in a lot of ways that works, but I think that it misses out on a lot of opportunity by bringing in new technology as on a regular basis. Leads nicely into my next question. Is there a piece of technology in your own life that you couldn't live without? Ooh. Um, there's a lot. Uh, <laughs> I would say probably my, my most valuable or, or utilized um, pieces of technology outside of maybe what's like the standard would be either like my, my uh, wireless headphones or uh, like a, a portable speaker. Mm -hmm. um, you know, always listen to podcasts or listen to music and, and you know, like to be hands-free when I'm doing that. Fair. What does your weekend look like when you get time off? 
when I get time off, I mean, I feel like I've been traveling uh, pretty much every week right now. So when I get time off, you know, I want to be able to, to stay at home and spend some time with my fiance. But, you know, when, when things are settled down um, and, and a bit more normal, I love getting out of the city. And, you know, whether it's getting out into nature or I, uh, I'm an electric skateboard, so I like riding that a lot um, or, or, you know, going to the mountains with my friends doing some snowboarding. What movie can you watch over and over again and never get tired of? That there, there's a lot. Uh, you know, I, I guess um, probably remember the Titans. Uh, I've seen that movie, um, uh, you know, hundreds of times. Probably cry every time, and uh, I'm always fired up afterwards. So, a good motivational one. And if it's not that, you know, I'm probably watching The Office. Do you have any catchphrases or mottos that you live by? Um, so uh, yeah, I think a good reminder for everybody, and I, I can't remember what book it was, probably one of the main, you know, business, whatever books that you're, but it's that you can, you have to focus your time and energy on things that you can influence the outcome. If you can't influence the outcome, then, you know, you're, you're wasting your time and, and you're honestly probably bringing down your your spirits and mental health and everything else so that's something that i am constantly reminding myself when when dealing with challenges is how can i influence this outcome to be you know as good as possible that's good advice uh who should we all follow on twitter (laughs) uh i mean i think this is kind of the the easy answer or the the cheap answer but you know elon's a hell of a follow uh Got to keep an eye on that guy. Never know what he's going to throw out next. I, you probably can't answer if you've written any policies for, for him or not. But I can I'm either confirm or deny. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, you know, I don't want to say anything negative about insurer's appetite, but um, <laughs> polarizing characters tend to uh, um, send insurers in the other direction. Yeah. What was the last thing that surprised you? Uh... I'd probably have to say the price of moonbirds. <laughs> <That's, laughs> yeah, that's, that a that's fair. Tough one to swallow. Who's the next guest you think we should have on the show? Um, you know, I, saying this and not knowing who all you guys have had, uh, I really like the stuff out of. Uh, I enjoy listening to stuff out of Real Vision. Mm-hmm. Um, if you guys have heard that, yeah, Roll of course. Paul. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I got on, a friend of mine put me on to him before they had split out into Real Vision, Real Vision Crypto, but like you, like not only crypto topics, but also just like finance in general. Um, I always enjoy hearing uh, macro talk, so. Cool. If you somehow managed to meet Satoshi, but you only got to ask him one question, or her, one question, <laughs> what would it be? Um... Uh, what, what do you think about Craig Wright? <laughs> <laughs> I would love to hear that answer. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> it, would, it would be a, a, a riveting conversation yeah, for sure. <laughs> no doubt. Listen, that's it, Glenn. Thank you very much for coming, and I've enjoyed this very much. Uh, you know, I really appreciate you having me. It's, uh, it's been a lot of fun.
To our listeners, if you haven't already seen Glenn's show and tell video, please go to our YouTube page or you can find it on Twitter at CopperHQ or find it on the website, copper.co forward slash insights. There you can also sign up for our newsletter, which includes links to all the week's top stories as well as any updates from the wider team here at Copper. If you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, please make sure to give us a good review in whichever streaming platform you're using. And if you want to get in touch, you can always reach me, Tyler, on Twitter at CryptoTSK or you can email me directly, tyler.kenyon at copper.co. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or if you know somebody should be, give us a shout. We're here to talk all things institutional crypto. And of course, this show is only made possible because of the technical and creative wizardry of Tally Spear with support from Melee Mountford and Eva Lila. New episodes coming out fortnightly. And in the meantime, stay safe. Stay safe.